So that's about that. And so let's get into what God would have for us today. Father, I want to thank you for your love and your grace. I want to thank you for the mercy that you, that you have for us and to us. I want to thank you that we are your church, no matter how broken and how uh, messed up we could be at times. Uh, we still have been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, and we exist for your glory. And we don't fully understand all of that, God, but we're going to trust in that. And we know that your presence is with us, and that you love us, and that we've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. So we want to thank you for that. I pray this morning, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. 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 So as we're going through this year uh, talking about church, the church, as I've been reading through the scripture, um, I love the book of Hebrews because the Hebrews is really a book about salvation and especially the first two chapters of hebrews it talks about the person of jesus and and how uh how he is the radiance and the exact representation of god and his glory and it talks about him being above the angels and 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 what it's getting to what it's kind of driving down into is that nothing can be compared to jesus nothing nothing can be compared nothing that we can ever imagine nothing that god has created can be compared to christ because he is, he is God. And I think, I believe it's very important for the church, we the church, to, to know not just of this Jesus, but to know Jesus in a very intimate, personal, relational way. Because this is where our grounding needs to be. It needs to be in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need to know who he is, why he is, and who we are in relationship to him. And deepen that relationship. And press into that relationship more and more. Because we are the church. We stand on the foundation of the gospel of Christ. Without that, we're just a group, a, a motley group to say that much, of people who get together on Sunday morning and listen to the ball guy talk. Without Christ as the center, we are really just nothing more than a group of people. But what makes this sacred and makes this holy, as I said last week, is we are in the presence of Christ, the power of of the Holy Spirit. And so we've been asking some questions about church. And we've been wrestling with, with these questions, you know, like, what is it? What did God originally tend church to be? What does it kind of look like? How, how are we supposed to press into it? How did God kind of set this whole thing up? And so I, I want to continue to ask some of the hard questions, because remember, we're looking at ourselves. We're looking at, at the church. We're taking a deep look into our own hearts. And so for continuing to ask questions, I can't help but to come to this. I mean, if, if you've studied church history at all, you know that what has considered to be the church throughout history is, is kind of been, we kind of zig and we kind of zag. We kind of go up, we kind of go down. Sometimes we're like right on it and sometimes we're so far from it. And, and, but but it's, it's ever, since, ever since these letters in the, in the Bible have been written, the church has kind of been, it hasn't been on that straight path that we would like it to think that we were on because we're human. And so we ebb and we flow and we, and we, and we, and sometimes we get it and sometimes we don't. And so sometimes I have to ask the question like, like why bother? Why continue 
Why continue to work at this thing we call church? Why to continue? Why should we continue to get together and, and worship God together? I mean, there's less, there's less drama if I just do it by myself. A church planter once said that we had the perfect church until people started to come. And so why bother? Why, why go through all of the, the fuss and the muss and, and, and all of the, sometimes the, the difficulty of church? And then, and then combine that with, man, when you want to talk about Jesus, when you want to talk about the gospel, and, and you talk about it to people, sometimes they get insulted when you talk about it in the context of church. Oh, I believe in God. I, am, I, I, don't, I don't go to church. I don't like organized religion. I mean, do we look organized here? I... Go Giants. I mean, come on. But I believe the answer to that begins with this. The why bother question, the answer is this. I believe that we still have a message to give to the world. I still believe we have a message of hope, a message, a message of healing. It's a powerful message. It's, it's for all people to hear. It's for all people to be invited into it's a message of truth. It's a message of, 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 of healing. It's a message of, of hope. It's a message of, of God's love. It's the message of wholeness. And if we can just kind of boil all of those words down into one, I would say we have the message of salvation. That God invites all people into his salvation. Now in the book of Hebrews it talks a lot about salvation and the, the text I want to look at today is Hebrews chapter 2 verses 1 through 4. And this is what the writer says. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding... And every violation and disobedience received its just punishment. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. The writer calls it so great a salvation. So great a salvation. Sometimes I wonder if the church has gone the way of the people that this letter was written to, the, the Hebrews that it was written to. These Jesus followers began to lose sight of the gospel message. These Jesus followers began to lose the, 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 the simple yet profound truth of what salvation really is. They lost that sense of awe. It began to just to, to get watered down in, from, from what, what they originally had heard, what was given to them. They began to kind of drift away from it. They began to follow things that were not the gospel. And it's only the gospel of Jesus Christ that can offer this, this so great a salvation that he speaks to here. 
And they just kind of were just, they, they, you know how you, you, when you first come to Jesus, you may remember, man, you were just on fire for him. And you were just going head over heels. And then as time goes on, you kind of lose a little fire. You kind of lose a little passion. And then one day you look for your Bible and it's got an inch of dust on it. And that's what's happening to these, to these people that this letter is addressed to. They're missing the, the, the amazingness of, of salvation, They're missing what God is calling them into, the fullness of life, the the eternal redemption that we have. And you know, I, I can't shake my head at them because many times I do the same thing. Sometimes I forget how awesome salvation really is. The things that God has done for me in my life, I just take them for granted. And so I just can't be like, yeah, you know, these, that church, their story is our story. Our story is their story. I mean, our salvation is the single most greatest gift that has ever been offered to mankind, ever. Ever. Do we look at it that way? Do we remember it that way? You know, the New Testament is full of these amazing descriptions of God's salvation. And, and the writers of the epistles, they, sometimes words fail them to describe it. The, faith, the word, and, and, and but other times they just feel it feels so poetic in, in what they say, and, and you know the the uh, unsearchable riches of Christ, the exceeding riches of God's grace, and all of these things that describe salvation. And when you think about it, if you look throughout the centuries, you will see how people who have been deeply affected by this this gift that God has given us through Jesus Christ, how how they've created such beautiful things. The hymns that we sing, the songs that we sing, sculptures and paintings and books and poems have all been created in response to this so great a salvation. It has affected people so deeply inside that, that they had to express themselves in a very intimate way. And some of those expressions have stood the test of time throughout the centuries. And so I think the question that we can begin to ask ourselves is how do we do as a community? How do we do as individuals? Have we lost sight of the amazingness of salvation? Do we not only believe it, but do we celebrate it in the name of Jesus? That is, it's the most amazing thing we've ever got a hold of, that we've ever heard of. Do we give that impression to our family and to our friends, to the people that we work with, to the people that are outside these walls? I wonder if the lack of interest in church is because the church lives into a very small definition of salvation. Sometimes, all we, sometimes I've, I've heard it over and again that, that we make it about when we die. When we die, we get to go to heaven. But it's more than that. It's about the here and now. It's life. It's full life. This writer to the Hebrews, he calls it so great a salvation. It's big. It's amazing. It goes beyond what we can understand. And these people have forgotten that. And sometimes I really believe that the church forgets that. And he's not just using, you know, oh, so great a salvation to puff us up or to make us feel good or to draw our attention. He really believes it, that this is, this is an amazing thing. And I think it's okay to question the scripture. And so when a statement like that is made in the midst of, of, of these verses, I think it's okay to ask why. Why is it so great? Why should we believe that? You know, I, 
I believe the first answer is because God has announced it to the world. It's his salvation. He has given it. He is the author of it. It has come from him. It has been carried out by him. It is for his glory. The greatness of our salvation is because of the greatness of God. Let me, let me give you a, an object lesson. I have an object lesson today. You can put this on your calendar because this might be the only one. I'm not very creative. Okay, look at this picture. Now, I have a little bit of artistic talent. And I am pretty sure I could paint something like that. It's not the best portrait I've ever seen. Anatomically, it's a little incorrect. I'm not sure what this thing's hanging out. Maybe he got a broke. I don't know. But I'm pretty sure that I can produce a painting like that. And if I did, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty confident that I probably could not give it away. And if anybody here would take it, you probably didn't want to make me feel bad, but I'm sure it wouldn't earn center over your mantle. But this painting in 2006, it sold for $95 million. In today's economy, they estimate this painting is now worth about $102 million. This painting. Because it was painted by Pablo Picasso. See, if I painted this, I'd be lucky to get $102. But because of who painted it, because of the author of this picture, it's worth over $100 million today. Our salvation has been authored by the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the creator of the cosmos, the universe, the creator of everything. Do you see where it finds its value? It finds its worth. It is so great a salvation because because it's God's salvation. It's his salvation. And he confirms it. The scripture tells us he confirmed it. Verse 4. I'm sorry. Let me go back one. God also testified to this salvation by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit given according to his will. See, salvation is not about us telling people, hey, I I got this thing, I created this thing, and and I made this thing, and now since I've made it, I I want you to have it. I want you to receive it. I want to offer it to you. And I guess you can choose to take it or not to take it. See, this salvation is not about what we have produced, what we have created. It's about what God has done. It's God's plan carried out by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's all his doing, his creation, his confirmation, his power, and what he is doing, what he has done, done and what he continues to do in the future through Jesus Christ. That's why, that's why in the beginning of Hebrews, stupid iPhone, the beginning of Hebrews, it says this, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. The son is where the foundation of our salvation is whom he appointed heir of all things. And through him, he also made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory 
and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And he had provided purification for sin. That is our salvation. He sat down after he provided it. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty, at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. That's the way this book of Hebrews begins. And then in chapter 2, we come to this. We must pay careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard. This is our original text, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through the angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? The salvation was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Our salvation purification. So when we talk about being saved, when we talk about salvation, again, we're going to press into some questions. We could ask, well, what are we saved from? What is it that we are saved from? In verse 3, it says, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? We are being saved from something. Now, if After church, one day, we are in the cafe, you and I, we're chatting, and you are having a bagel, a nice fresh bagel, and I'm standing next to you, and I too would like a bagel. And we're deciding on what cream cheese we're to spread on our bagel. And you dip your big knife into that nice whipped cream cheese, and you think it's chive cream cheese, but I kind of glance over, and I know what's in the refrigerator, I work here. And I say, oh, nay, nay. I don't think that's chive in that cream cheese. I believe it's mold. You might want to rethink that whole plan of yours. In a very classic sense, I have saved you. I have given you salvation. Now, if, say, we left here and we decided that we're going to go on a hike and we want to go to Ragged Mountain, and we hiked in, we hiked up the mountain, and we walked along that beautiful cliff, and you got a little close to that cliff because you're a little afraid of heights. Your knees got a little wobbly and you started to go over that cliff. But I, noticing everything, grabbed you by the scruff of your shirt and pulled you back. And I saved you from falling 100 feet down into the cliffs onto the rocks. Once again, in a very classic sense, I have offered you salvation. I have saved you. But in, in, in both instances, though they're salvation, they, um, one is much greater than the other one. We, what we are being saved from can testify to the greatness of salvation. God is saving us from, from ourselves, which we cannot save ourselves from anything. God is saving us from the brokenness in this world that we introduced in the world. God is saving us from living lives that have no kingdom consequence at all. Ultimately, God is saving us from our sin. He saves us from the consequence of our sin, the consequence of our rebellion against him. When it talks about the message spoken through the angels was binding, what he's talking about is the law that was given to Moses. It was binding. The law speaks into how broken this world is. 
and the consequence that we face because of that brokenness. And Paul would write that the consequence of sin, the consequence of our brokenness is is death. The law describes the punishment. The law describes the sin. So we have to understand that what we choose to believe or not to believe, what we choose to engage or not engage, has consequences. And I really believe that people, they, they disregard the gospel. They don't take it to heart because they really believe that they're okay. That they've put their faith in the things that the world says, this is going to save you. If you get more money, this will save you. If you climb the corporate ladder, if you work really hard at this, this is your salvation. If you move into that neighborhood, if you send your kids to that school, those are the things that are going to save you. And so they don't need the gospel. They don't need saving. And then there's that, always that pat answer that I hear over and over again. I'm not that bad of a person. Why would God punish me? I haven't killed anyone. I really don't, ro- really don't, ro- you know, when somebody says, I really don't rob from anyone. What does that mean? You only a little rob from someone? They trust in themselves. They trust in the world. But God, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, has saved us from the consequence of sin. We have all been born into it. There is none righteous. No, not one, the scripture tells us. We have been born into the consequence of sin. And through the gospel, we have been reconciled back to him. And there's an assurance in the gospel. We could be sure. We can have peace of mind. You know, when you come to that moment on your deathbed, when you're about ready to give back the breath of life that that God breathed into you when you were born, how big your house is, how big your bank account is, how high you've climbed the corporate ladder, none of that matters in that very moment. None of that is going to bring you peace of mind. None of that is going to comfort you in that moment. What will offer you comfort is the assurance that you have been forgiven of your sin by the cross of Christ. That's where our insurance is. That's where our peace comes from. That's where the calmness comes from. That's what we are being saved from. Now, in saying that, I think sometimes the church misses the whole story of salvation. And, and maybe, not, maybe not miss it, but we don't do... Uh, um, We don't do a good job communicating it at times. And and sometimes I don't think we live into it as fully as, as God so desires us to. Because here's the thing. Not only have been, not, not only have we been saved from, but we've also been saved to something. So we've been saved from, but we've been saved to. And, and on communion Sundays, when we come to this table, I am so reminded of the thing that we have been saved into. I mean, I know, you know, we're used to doing this. We do this every first Sunday of the month. But Christians, for thousands of years, have been doing this, have been taking part in this remembrance. And this is a beautiful picture of what we've been saved from And it's an equally beautiful picture of what we're being saved to. This is the symbol, a symbol of God's future and how that future is meeting us right here and right now. Because remember, salvation is not just about about saving from or some 
some way thing out there that someday we're going to get to. Salvation is about, about today. It's not just a rem- this table, not just a remembrance about God's past or Jesus on the cross. It's the celebration of the presence of the living God here and now. This is also our salvation. This is what now we are being saved to. We are invited to celebrate what God has not only done, what God is doing, and what God will do in the future. New heaven, new earth. Read the book of Revelation. We celebrate through this table the resurrection. Not only, not only the resurrection of Jesus, but, but the future resurrection. When we will be raised from the dead. When we will be changed. And we will have this glorified body. We are not going to spend eternity as some soul floating around in the clouds. The scripture tells us that we will rise from the dead. Romans 8, it says that, that, that we, um, we eagerly wait the redemption of what? Our bodies. And I know we can't fully understand that. We don't, we don't fully get all of what that means. But by faith, we know that in the fullness of God's time, it will happen. See, salvation is not just us escaping this world and trying to get to heaven. Salvation is about being raised to new life in a new heaven, in a new earth. It's what the scripture teaches us when we're saved by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that spirit brings us to a faith, to a faith in Jesus. That faith leads us to follow Jesus, to walk in his shoes, to live as he lived, to pray as he prayed, to to hope as he hoped. We become his disciples and we love as he loved. And in our salvation, in that faith, we, we look forward to what God is going to do in all of creation when the sons and the daughters of God are revealed. Creation is groaning right now for that day. Remember this, this whole being saved thing, it's not about us trying harder to make sure that we put more check marks in the good column than the bad column. Being saved, God's salvation is the empowerment to live into this new thing that God is doing, that new thing he started that day that, that Jesus rose from the dead. We live into the Easter. We live into the resurrection. That's the thing that God saves us to. He saves us from death, but he saves us to life. He saves us into his plan. He saves us into his love, his hope. Man, I don't know how you can argue that that's not good news of the gospel. Every time that we, the church, go out into the world, that when we speak into the world, when we live into the world, if we enter from a place of Christ-centered vulnerability and humility and even, even grateful for the suffering that we, that we have, when we enter into the world praising and praying, when we enter in understanding that we will be misunderstood, but that's, that we have been vindicated by Christ. And the cross, when we celebrate Jesus, when we live into the whole picture of God's salvation, and when the church goes into the world with that posture, with that heart, then we usher in the kingdom of heaven here on earth. 
And we begin to see what it talks about in verse 4 here. When the church lives into those things, it, it is the testimony of signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts by the Holy Spirit. It's God's testimony. We are his testimony, the church in the world. When we live into the salvation, when we understand what we have been saved from and we live into God's promises, when we live into who we are in Christ. Now we're going to... Um, we're going to celebrate communion this morning, this table. But I thought before we kind of rush to the table, kickoff's not till 620, so we got time. I want, to, I want us to take some time. And I want us, we're going to put a verse on the, up there on the screen. We're going to take part in an ancient tradition called Lectio Divina as a community. And we're going to sit quiet. And we're going to look at that verse. It's a simple verse. I'll explain a little when I put it up. And I want you to, whatever word you're comfortable with, meditate on that verse. Contemplate the verse. Let the verse marinate, whatever it takes. But understand the depth of the scripture when it talks about God's salvation. This is the verse. Therefore, he is able to save completely. He's able to save from, and he's able to save to those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. We are in the presence of the living God, the living God, and he is interceding on our behalf that we would not only recognize what we've been saved from, but we would live into what we've been saved to, life full life, abundant life, when God eventually puts this all back together again and we stand in his presence forever. And so we're going to take some time. And when I come back to the table is when we'll begin to come take communion. But um, John, if you would start that music and we're just going to take a few minutes, let this verse soak into your heart and your soul. When Jesus met with his disciples on that night he was betrayed and he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke the bread and he gave it to his disciples and said, take this all of you and eat it for this is my body that has been broken for you. And when supper was ended, he took the cup again. He gave thanks and praise and he gave the cup to his disciples and said, take this all of you and drink from it. For this is my blood spilled for the forgiveness of sin. Forgiveness from the consequence of sin. A salvation into new life. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this so great a salvation. We pray that we could be the testimony, your church, as we live it, we live into it by the power and the grace of your Holy Spirit. May you be our empowerment. 
May you be our passion. May you be our all in all. Thank you for the table and what it represents. Thank you for the sacredness of it and for the story it tells. The story that's already been written and the story that you continue to write through your people, through this thing we call church. All God's people said, Amen. I love you guys. I will see you next week. Go Seattle.